Well, I don't know what reason you're here this morning for, but I'm glad that you're here and it's great to be with you today. And I'm guessing that already in this Christmas season that some things have happened that you have put into the Christmas memory bank, right? There are certain things that happen that you'll never remember again, but there are certain things that you might remember. So I had my family together on Christmas Eve, or at least some of my family, I was asking them some of their Christmas memories. So things were, were, were coming out, right? And, and I certainly can remember things from my childhood. I can never forget my grandmother's gifts, not because they were great, but because they were awful, <laughs> So, so my grandma, always, she always bragged that, that she got her Christmas shopping done early. Like, I think she was done at, at, at Valentine's Day for the next Christmas. And the gifts had absolutely no relationship to the person that she was giving them to, right? So I could be 14 years old. She'd get me this sweater, three sizes too small, that would be yellow with a little ducky on it. I'm serious. She'd get golf balls to kids that didn't play golf. And, and we'd get these bowls with these insignias on the outside. We had no idea what they were for. So I think by the age of five, we learned, oh, this is a gift from grandma. Just smile, say thank you, and then put it in the corner. So that's one of my memories from Christmas, and I'm guessing that you have some memories too. Some of them good, some of them painful, some of them sweet, and and some of them a little bit quirky, like my grandmother's gifts. And I think in a lot of ways, Christmas is about that. It's about memories. It's about making memories. And I think for the Christian, it's about looking to the memories of those who were on the ground. When Jesus came, when Jesus was born, when Jesus grew up, when Jesus uh, taught and he preached and he did miracles and He was lifted up on a cross and he rose again. And I think as Christians, we're really good at remembering, at looking back, right? In fact, the two biggest holidays on the Christian calendar are Christmas and Easter. And they're looking back kind of holidays where we look back at when Jesus was born and we look back at when Jesus had risen from the dead. And it's great that we look back at those pivotal points in history. And yet, you know, right? The people, you know, that you hang around with, that they're always talking about the past, it kind of gets old, right? I mean, they're just recycling the same stories over and over again. They're 25, they're talking about high school. They're 30, they're talking about high school. They're 40, they're 50, they're 60, they're still talking about the things in high school. Like, it gets a little bit old, right? And similar, I think, as Christians, if we're just looking back always to things that have happened before, if we're looking back to Christmas, that... Wow, we can sound a little bit like a broken record. And I'm not sure if you've ever really thought of it like this before, but we live in this period of time where it's the already not yet period of time. Christ has already come, but he's promised to come again, and so that hasn't yet taken place. And so we live in this time in history where it's, it's, where it's already, but it's not yet. <laughs> we live between Christmas and the ultimate New Year. <laughs> and Jesus, if we look at his teaching and his preaching, really had a lot to say about that second coming. He said things about his first coming, but there's a lot there that he wanted to say that would prepare us for this already not yet zone. In fact, he shared this parable. 
And this parable had to do uh, with these 10 young women. And they had all been invited in advance to be a part of this big wedding banquet, this big wedding feast. But the groom was off away. But the, the wedding was going to take place as soon as the groom came back. And they were to be ready. Because if they weren't ready, they would be left out. And, and then the groom comes in the middle of the night and this announcement is made. The groom is here. And of those ten women, some were ready and they were ushered into this great banquet party and some weren't and they were left out. And Jesus says, when I return, be, be ready. Live in light of that second coming. And if that's the case, it seems to me that one of the questions that we ought to ask ourselves is this. What does it mean to be ready? What does it mean to be ready for Jesus coming back? Well, we could speculate, but I don't think we have to because the New Testament writers, they, they said a lot about how to be ready for Jesus' coming back. First, let's take a look at Peter's words. Peter was one of Jesus' followers. And in one of his letters to the early churches that were formed just in the decades after Jesus was here on earth, he writes this. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. That is, when Jesus comes back, it will be surprising. You won't know when it will be in advance. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. In other words, the old is going to be gone, and evil is going to be vanquished. And then he says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? And then he answers the question. He says, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. He goes on and says, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, where God's goodness is without any inhibition whatsoever. And then he says, so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. So you've probably heard of preppers, right? You might even be a prepper. So pre preppers are, are concerned that something big's going to happen, right? Cataclysmic. There's going to be natural disasters that come. There's going to be a nuclear war that happens. You know, the energy sources will be sabotaged in some way. And so, so they're prepping. They're preparing for that. They're gathering food. They're gathering ammunition and firearms and those kinds of things. Well, Peter here in this passage says that things are going to be way worse than any prepper could imagine when evil is vanquished, but he says the thing that you should be concerned about is not about making a stash with sort of food and ammo. The thing that you should be concerned about when the king of kings comes back is that you're living a holy and godly life. <laughs> so think of it this way. You're a teenager. Your parents are headed out to dinner. And you peek out the blinds and you see them drive off and good, they're gone. And so you, now you can do that thing that you know you really aren't supposed to do because they're gone. 
And you figure they're going to be gone for a few hours, but then they come back after about a half an hour because something in their plans changed and they catch you in the act. And what Peter is saying here is he says, don't get caught in that way. Be living a holy and godly, blameless life when Jesus returns. So be ready for the dance. Now, that may not sound that exciting, right? Live a holy, godly life. It's like, it's like a third century monk or, you know, be a nun in some, you know, nunnery up in the mountains somewhere. That doesn't sound very exciting, but it doesn't have to look like that necessarily. So I have three sons and I have a daughter. They're all out of the home. That was my daughter who was singing up here earlier. And, and the third son, he is at UT in Austin, right? There's plenty of ways in Austin not to live a godly and holy life, right? So he's got a bunch of roommates. He lives in a house. They're all Christian roommates, great guys, and they like to have fun, but they also want to live in light of Jesus' coming. So, so they have parties. Like They have this big, huge, they just had their second annual root beer keg party. And they had root beer keg, and people brought in all different kinds of root beer, and they had lights and dancing and, and fire pit and all that thing going on. They had over 100 people in their house. It was a great big party. Now, I don't know if that's quintessential holiness there, but it sure beats the alternative, right? Because if Jesus came back in the midst of that party, nobody's got to go looking for their clothes or has to sober up because they're good to go. And I think that's what Peter's point is here. He wants us to be ready if Jesus comes back by living holy and pure and godly lives. Now, here's a second way, a second way that we can be ready for Jesus' return. And that is by investing well what God has given us, what he's entrusted us. Now, if there's anything that I've learned as I've gotten older is that I'm really not that great at anything. I mean, People are a whole lot better at anything that I can do. I'm pretty good at some things, but nobody's getting in a line to hear me speak or, you know, to get my autograph or anything like that, right? But it doesn't mean that I can't do some things, all right. And, and it doesn't mean that I don't have resources. I'm not the richest guy, but I have more than what I need to get by just sort of basic needs and so the question is, what am I doing with what's been entrusted to me? So Jesus, he told another parable. And in this parable, there's a master. And this master gives out talents. And the talents in that day were, were money. And you may have heard this story before. And, and there's three servants and the master gives one servant five talents. He gives another servant two talents. He gives the third servant one talent. And then he goes off on a trip. And when he returns, he wants to see what they've done with the money that he's given them. So he brings them in. And the one with five says, I invested your five and I've earned five more. And he says, well done. Enter into your master's happiness. And then he brings in the one with two. And what have you done? Well, I've taken your two and I've invested it. And there's two more. Well done. Enter into your master's happiness. Then he brings in the one, the one who's given one talent. What have you done? He said, why, well, I dug it in the ground. And the master says, away from me. And he sends him out into the darkness. You see some really great things about Jesus' 
second coming. But we have to understand that when he returns, there's going to be an accounting. And a lot of that accounting has to do with what we've done with what he's given us. And I have to imagine when I look out across this room that there are people here that have incredible gifts, incredible resources. Some of you can write. Some of you can sing. Some of you have amazing ability to lead other people. Some of you have the gift of gabbing, you know, have conversations with a tree, right? Some of you can make money like it's growing on trees. Some of you are smarter than I could ever dream to be. The question is, is what are you doing with those resources that God has given you? Are you burying them in the ground, using them for self-gain? Are you using them for him? So here's a little New Year's resolution. Just spend a few moments. Just write down things that you're pretty good at, right? Probably not world class at anything. I'm not world class at anything, but just make a little list. Here's some things I'm pretty good at. It might be baking cookies. I'm going to take cookies to neighbors then a bunch this year, whatever the case might be. But make a little inventory of the things that, 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 that you're, you're pretty good at, maybe some of the resources you have, and then just to come before the Lord and say, God, how do you want me to use these gifts? And if you do that, if Jesus comes back in 2020, I think you're good to go. You're in a good place. Third, third thing you might do to live in light of Jesus' return. Well, I think that if Jesus is coming back, that a lot of courage is called for, that we shouldn't play it safe. Most of us, right, if we have something to lose, particularly something significant to lose, we play it safe. I mean, we've accumulated this, we've worked for this, we've got this, so, you know, just, you know, why risk that? But if we're a follower of Jesus, then to be after the things of God, well, we should take courage there. There's no reason to play it safe. And you say, well, why is that? Well, it's because the score is fixed. So in the book of Revelation, right, the book of Revelation has a lot to do with Jesus' second coming. And in the book of Revelation, there's actually three scenes. It's not just one. There's three scenes that tell us about the battle of Armageddon, okay? So it actually comes from the Bible. I know it's in movies and books and, and that kind of thing. But it actually comes from the Bible. And, and three times in the book of Revelation, we're seeing the scene in which this great evil one, it's called the beast in the book of Revelation, gathers together these nations and these kings who want nothing to do with God. And Christ returns and they're going to go into battle against Against Jesus. But what's really telling is that when we look at these passages, is there's no actual battle described. The forces come against Jesus, but then it's just done. In fact, in one of the passages, that's what Jesus says. He says, it's done, and then it's just done. It's over with. It's, it's finished. I love this passage in Revelation 17. It's verse 14. It reads this way. Together they will go to war against the Lamb. That's Jesus. But the Lamb will defeat them because he is Lord of all lords and King of all kings. And his called and chosen and faithful ones will be with him. Now there's an acknowledgement here, right? That there's going to be some who will come against Christ in the end. But again, we see no battle here. 
Christ isn't sweating it out. He's not like in the corner, like, how am I going to get out of this? And it's just some, you know, stroke of luck that gets him to victory. No, he's the Lord of all lords, the king of all kings. And so there's victory. He wins. And then the last part of that verse, and his called and chosen and faithful ones will be with him. You know what that means? If you trust Christ and you follow him, this is what it means. It means you win too. <laughs> that you're on the podium. That you get to be in the locker room at the end of that championship season. I mean, the corks are flying, right? You get in on that. <laughs> because if Jesus wins and you're with Jesus, then you win too. And if that's the case, it seems to me, then why play it safe in this life, right? Why not go all in? So I have a longtime college friend. Uh, he roomed with me for a year and a half, and he was, he was a Catholic background, and he, he really didn't know that much about Christ. And as we roomed together, he, he learned more, and some of the pieces came together. But, but, but then he got into the, the best hotel management school in the world, in Switzerland. And so he left the school I was at to go there. And he's really a, a very talented, gifted guy. So he's French, and he grew up in Mexico City, and his uh, relatives are Italian, so he speaks French, Spanish, English, and Italian fluently. And he's going through the best hotel management school. He gets out of it. He lands a, a great job with this international hotel chain in, in this management position. All is going well. The career track's great, the rewards are great, and yet he realizes after a few years that, you know what, I'm actually playing it safe here. So he made the jump. And for the last 15 or so years, he's been with the Samaritan's Purse, a disaster relief agency. And he flies all over the world. And his itinerary just makes me tired looking at it from afar because he's, he's in Nepal and then he's in, in Africa and then he's in South America and then he's in the Caribbean and then he's up in, in Alaska. That'll all be in one trip. And he's speaking all these different languages to these people and the story that he comes back with are beautiful. So he decided not to play it safe. You know, in John 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples the end of his first coming, and he's preparing them for this already not yet zone that we live in. You know, they've been together for three years, and boy, you know, there's a band of brothers, and he says, you know what, it's, it's not going to be this way forever. When I, when I leave, you're going to be scattered. There's going to be persecution. And then he says these words. He says in verse 33, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He said, guys, when I leave, it's not going to be easy. It's not just going to be candy canes and, you know, smoked hams and Hallmark moments. It's going to be tough. But take heart. Because every evil that you will come against, I will ultimately win against. So go for it. And they went for it. And within a few decades, we see from the Roman history, the Roman historians, they couldn't believe their churches popping all over the empire. And they couldn't figure out how to shut this movement down. They live boldly. They live courageously. And I think we ought to do the same if we're living in light of Jesus' second coming. Well, here's the fourth thing I think we should do if Jesus is coming back, and that's practice worship. And I spoke of you of the battle of 
Armageddon. It's in the book of Revelation, but it's not the predominant scene in the book of Revelation. Really, the predominant scene, the the scene that we see over and over again in the book of Revelation is that of worship. We see it many places. I'm going to read for you a, a, a passage that has to do with worship that's in the book of Revelation when Jesus returns. It says, after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation and tribe and people and language. Talk about inclusive, right? There are all these people that are standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, in front of Jesus. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They're worshiping Jesus. And then it goes on and says, All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And they're worshiping Jesus. They're worshiping God. And and we see that scene over and over again in the book of Revelation. (laughs) And why shouldn't there be these scenes? If Jesus is coming back and he's going to vanquish evil and he's going to set up a new heaven and new earth where there's goodness and righteousness, shouldn't there be worship? Now, a lot of people think that worship is just kind of a religious practice. It's superstitious. It's, um, it's for the religious people, right? But you know, we all worship. We all worship. So yesterday, there was a whole lot of worship going on all right? <laughs> during the college football playoffs, right? I mean, people had their worship clothes on. They had, you know, their worship insignias on as well. So they were doing their hand movements, right? Their praise movements they were doing. I mean, they had it going, you know, they made their way to the meccas of college football. And even if you couldn't make it, you were at home and you're yelling at the TV. You probably, you know, if you're really into one of these teams, you're wearing your outfit. You're, you're into it, right? You see, the question is not whether we will worship. The question is, what and who will we worship? And it seems to me that if Jesus returns and does what he says he will do, then the who and the what of worship should be really clear. And we should be like the people in the passages of Revelation and practice worship. Tonight, I'm going to be presiding over a memorial service. It's a gal who's a wife and mother. She's 49 years old. She died of breast cancer about 10 days ago. And I've known her for about 15 years or so, and she was a beautiful and a kind woman, but was what was really unique about her was that she really always wanted to be about worship. Her sister actually said that, that, that she had told her that she, she wished she'd been an angel so that she could sing with the angels. Her husband said, you know, it was who she was to worship, <laughs> Her friend, her dear friend, showed me on sort of on FaceTime. She recorded this FaceTime. So she, her friend was at a Christian concert a couple months before she died. And she FaceTimed the concert to the one who's dying. And, and, and this gal who's dying, she's in bed. And she's lifting up her hands as she's watching this worship service there. <laughs> of course, that woman, the woman who died, she didn't have to wait for Jesus to come back to see him. She's with him now, but I have the feeling that when she saw Jesus for the first time, she didn't say to herself, what do I do? (laughs) Because she had been practicing. She had been practicing worship. 
You might say, well, what does that mean? Does it mean I got to listen to KSBJ all the time? <laughs> and that gets a little old. No, you don't have to listen to Christian music all the time. I have a bumper sticker or wear a Jesus t-shirt or something like that. But it probably means at least this, if you want to worship well, it's learning to say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy today. <laughs> thank you, Lord, for this meal today. For my family, for my kids. Thank you, Lord, for giving me what it takes to get through this tough situation here. Thank you, Lord, that in the end you're going to win because life is like hell right now. <laughs> so you don't have to lift up your hands and sing songs to worship. But you probably do need to learn to say Thank you. And if you do that, I think you're in a good place for Jesus' return. Now, there's one last thing I want to share with you that I think we ought to do if Jesus is going to return. Jesus, as we can see from the historical record, probably died in AD 30. It's 2019 right now. So that's 1,989 years ago. You might be saying, why is he waiting? Like, it's a long time. Now, there's an answer to that question. Peter gives it. Back in the same letter that I read from earlier, Peter says this. He says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. He's promised to come back, but he's not slow in keeping it, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Did you see that there? The why? Why Jesus hasn't come back yet? It's because he's being patient. You see, earlier I told you that, that parable of Jesus, and, and, and there's, a, there's a wedding party, right? And the groom was going to come back, and he, he wants people to be in on that wedding party. He doesn't want anybody left out of that. And so he's being patient so that people would turn to him and recognize, you know what, even on my best days, I'm not that good, and I need Jesus. And so, so they turn to him, and, and he's being patient for that so that they can be a part of this great wedding banquet there. <laughs> and so it would seem to me that if you're at a place right now and you've never sort of recognized that you can't even live up to your own standard, let alone God's. So maybe you need Jesus. Maybe it's the time to do that. And if you're here this morning and, and you do follow Jesus and you, you do love him, though it seems to me that, that if he's coming back then, and, and he wants people to be in on the wedding party, that you ought to be telling people about Jesus and about his first coming and about his second coming. So my second son is here this morning. He's a, a new officer in the U.S. Coast Guard, and he's stationed in Pensacola right now. And he's in flight training school there, and they train with the Navy so that they're, they're at the Naval Air Station in Pensacola. And and some of you know, if you've been following the news, that there was quite an event at that air station about three weeks ago where there was an active shooter, where a Saudi national really didn't come here for flight school. He came here to end up for some servicemen, and he did. He killed three servicemen and injured many. 
And my son was out the door. He was heading out the door to, to go to that building, to those classrooms, because that's where he goes. And he got the message that there's an active shooter, and he knew of friends that were running for their lives from that scene. It's a pretty sobering moment, right? He went, decided to go in a little late that day, and it had gone in early. He would have been in the middle of it. It's pretty sobering. And so he wrote a, a letter, an email out to people, some Christians, some not Christians. And, and he shared his heart in that email. And part of the reason he, he shared his heart there is because he, he recognizes that this, is, this, this life isn't forever. It can end in all kinds of ways. It might end by Jesus' return. It might end in different ways. And he wants people to sort of take an evaluation of life and to... To ask the big questions of life and whether God exists and what difference that they make in their lives. Because if Jesus is coming back, if this life isn't forever, he wants people to be ready. He wants people to be in on the party. I uh, received an email from a gal. She's a Jewish gal. She's in one of my groups at the Houstonian. And she sent me a link to a song. And uh, it's a song she wanted me to pass on to my son. And, and I'd never heard of it before. You may have heard of it. It's sung by Ca Casting Crowns, and it's called Nobody. And the, the chorus line goes like this. The first couple of lines of the chorus go like this. It says, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about the somebody who saved my soul. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about the somebody who saved my soul. And ever since I heard that song, I've called it my life theme song. <laughs> and if Jesus is coming back, why shouldn't it be, right? Why shouldn't I be about telling everybody all about the somebody who saved my soul? <laughs> and I don't have to be somebody to do that, right? I can be a nobody. I don't have to be on the stage. Nobody has to know who I am. But I want to be a part of that if Jesus is coming back. Well, 2020 is almost upon us, right? So man, I don't know whether this will be the year that Jesus comes back or not. He might wait another 2,000 years. But I do know this. I don't want to live with just fond memories of Jesus' first coming. I want to look with my eyes forward to his second coming and to be ready. And I pray that you do too. So let's pray. Well, Lord, we are so grateful for the last few days just being with family and friends and enjoying the celebration of, of Christmas and even thinking back on when you came the first time and, and what you did it's just sort of willingly coming into our world, this broken world, and being a part of it, Lord. And it's great to rest in those memories. And yet, Lord, too, you tell us that you're coming back. And so, Lord, we ask that you would work in us, that we would be ready for that coming, Lord, when you reign over all. Father, we look forward to that. In Christ's name, amen.